She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season four. Episode 14. Memento Mori. This episode is a myth arc episode, and it originally aired on Sunday, February 9th, 1997 at 9 p.m. In it, remember when Scully met all those women who claimed to have been abducted by aliens, and one of them, the one she was actually looking for, wasn't home because she was dying of cancer? Well, now Scully has cancer too. Are aliens responsible? The government? Both? Or is it just a terrible coincidence? Guess which one of those explanations Scully believes. I don't think Scully thinks it's a coincidence, though. I think she does think that her objection is responsible for it. She just doesn't understand how. Yeah, but she also is like, well, I don't know who abducted me or if it was human abduction. So, (laughs) Look, she doesn't have a lot of answers. To be fair, neither do we, although we have more now. I kind of feel like I have a good grasp on what happened. But Oh, okay. This episode was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it was written by Chris Carter, Vince Gilligan, John Shebon, and Frank Spotnitz. Ooh, this is going to be a clusterfuck. Yay! <laughs> a lot of chefs in that kitchen. A lot of chefs. And it, you can kind of tell, to be honest. I'm you can definitely tell at least one person who's providing ingredients. <laughs> I think I agree with you, and I think I know exactly what you're talking about, so probably yes. (laughs) And it was directed by Rob Bowman. All right. The episode opens with a widening white light and Scully's voiceover saying, For the first time, I feel time like a heartbeat, the seconds pumping in my breasts like a reckoning. The luminous mysteries that once seemed so distant and unreal, threatening clarity in the presence of a truth entertained not in youth, but only in passage. I feel these words as if their meaning were a weight being lifted from me, knowing that you will read them and share my burden, as I have come to trust no other. Light slowly reveals the silhouette of Scully in a hospital gown, looking at an X-ray. That you should know my heart, look into it, finding there the memory and experience that belong to you, that are you, is a comfort to me now as I feel the tethers loose and the prospects darken for the continuance of a journey that began not so long ago and which yet began with a faith shaken and strengthened by your convictions, if not for which I might never have been so strong now. And that was all one sentence. Holy moly. I know. I know. Oh, my God. As I cross to face you and look at you incomplete, hoping that you will forgive me, not for making the rest of the journey with you. And then we see the exit she's looking at has a big old giant white spot on it. That is a mass in her upper nasal cavity between her eyes. Theme song. Mm-hmm. That's the new theme song for X-Files. I don't know if you realize that. <laughs> you might miss that if you weren't paying close attention. So, okay. Pop quiz. Who has missed the opening narrations that are either written by Chris Carter or stolen from some overwrought teen's journal? <laughs> Oh, no one? Yeah, me too. (laughs) No, I know. And it's so funny because, like, I like the whole, like, I feel time like a heartbeat. Like, I don't relate to that because I have always felt time, like, bearing down on me since I was, like, five years old. I would get stressed out if we were late for kindergarten. My mom will tell you stories. Like, I've always been very conscious of time. So people who aren't, it kind of, I envy them deeply, but also I'm kind of like, how are you not constantly aware of the passage of time? It's driving me crazy. But other than that line, like, it's just so overwrought. And it's totally Mulder in the sky with diamonds level of, like, (laughs) we don't need this. It doesn't really serve the story. Like, we can get Scully's emotions so much better if she were just speaking plain English. You know? Like, I found out I have this thing. And now, you know, I realize that mortality is coming for me and i may not live forever and i have to i don't know there's just so many better ways to put it well, and I'm just th- like you said on. there are some good bits in here some of them sure. are kind of like like the first part is like for the first time i feel time it's like okay you can't have time in there right next to each other like that you, you can't do that that's not, not good and then there's like some parts where almost like 
like the words start to rhyme, but not in any kind of like meter or anything. And you're like, okay, you change the word because that feels weird. It feels like I'm going to start singing Dr. Seuss or something. And it's just like, <laughs> and then that one sentence is like, I don't know. I did one, two, three, four, five, six, six commas in that sentence. No, use some damn periods or something, some semicolons. Come on, dude. Can't write that. So <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. I realize that is that is you writing what he wrote, but I mean that that is how it's written. There aren't really any places to put periods or semicolons. Right, in there. yeah. So no, it's just a transcript of what she says as I heard it. So yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Chris Carter. Oof. And you know, I love I love Chris Carter's dialogue. I really do love a lot of the stuff that he writes, but he needs to stop writing the narration. Deep- yeah, the he needs deep monologue narration. He needs someone else yeah. to come in and help because and it's there's just at always... least like one or two more of them in this episode. Yeah. Anyway, so. then we're at Holy Cross Memorial Hospital in Washington, D.C. Mulder walks in and he asks the nurse, Oncology? She points. He heads in that direction. He pauses at the door and watches Scully look at an x ray through the window and then goes inside. He has flowers and he jokes that he stole them from some guy with a broken leg down the hall. And he's like, well, he can't catch me. So that was funny. Uh, They both smile at each other. And he asks how she's doing. And she says, actually, I feel fine. And she is dressed now, too. She's not in the hospital gown anymore. She's wearing, like, normal clothes. Mm -hmm. After a short, awkward silence, Mulder turns to the x-rays and asks what they're looking at. She says it's called a nasopharyngeal mass. It's a small tumor. Scully tells Mulder that he is the only one she's called. He asks if it's operable. She says no. But it's treatable, he says. Scully tells him that due to the type and placement of the tumor, treatment is difficult. Mulder says he refuses to believe that. But Scully says that for all the time she said that to him, she's as sure about this as he's ever been about anything. If the mass pushes into her brain, statistically, there's a 0% chance of survival. Mulder doesn't accept that, and he says there must be some people who receive treatment for this. And Scully says, yes, there are. Also, Holy Cross Memorial Hospital, that's a good Catholic-sounding hospital. That was probably your boy, Vince. Nice touch. (laughs) Probably. Yeah. I probably would have gone with, like, Our Lady of something if I was doing the name just to get that (laughs) that total Catholic thing in there. But, yeah, Holy Cross Memorial Hospital. Good job. Good job. So in Skinner's office, Skinner is handed a folder, and he tells Scully that this news comes as the worst kind of surprise, and he's very sorry. Scully says she doesn't mean for this to be awkward, and she'd appreciate it if they could keep this matter confidential. Skinner assumes she'll be taking a leave of absence, but Scully says she and Mulder actually have a possible avenue of investigation. And Skinner's like, investigation? (laughs) He's like, it's cancer, (laughs) what? (laughs) Yeah. Mulder tells them last year they pursued an investigation in which women, purported abductees, had similar cancer after their implants were removed. One woman, Betsy Hagopian, was undergoing treatment for the same tumor. Skinner points out they have connections to the best medical doctors, but Scully says, for her own reasons, she wants to pursue this. Mm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Then we're in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And we see a woman scraping a MUFON sticker off the window, and she watches Mulder and Scully as they park in front of the house. She opens the door, and she's like, sorry, no early birds for the garage sale. Scully tells her they're looking for Betsy Hagopian, and the woman says that she's sorry, but Betsy passed away two and a half weeks ago. Mulder tells her they're with the FBI, and the woman's like, well, I'm just a realtor. I don't really know anything. He asks if they can come inside and take a look. And then he's like, badge, and basically like walks past her. (laughs) Not (laughs) really asking, he's like telling her they're going to go inside. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. But again, she's just a realtor too, so, you know, whatever. Inside, Scully looks around, and she remembers the women sitting around holding up their implants in various containers. Mulder points out the phone has two lines, and one is lit. So he lifts it up, and he hears the sound of a fax or a modem. Someone is sending something. So they run downstairs to an office and we see a bunch of UFO clippings on the wall around a computer. And Mulder says that someone must have remote access to the computer. 
Scully says they're downloading data. Mulder suggests they get a trace before whoever it is disconnects. Yeah. And apparently they did trace it because they end up at an apartment building. Unit 234 belongs to Kurt Crawford. Scully presses the buzzer, but after a second, Mulder says he's going to go check around the back and suggest she try the manager. And it's night now also. It's gone from mm-hmm. day to night. So. Around the back, Mulder finds stairs to a fire escape and he walks up. The exterior door is locked, but as Mulder continues up, the door opens and someone runs around. He heads back down to chase the guy who runs towards Scully. She tells him to stop and pulls her gun, and then he runs in the other direction. And then I don't think Scully was going to shoot him. I think he was going to get away. But Mulder slams into him and knocks him into the ground. Scully has his gun on him and asks if his name is Kurt Crawford. He says yes, and then Mulder turns back and notices that Scully's nose is bleeding. And Scully says she's fine, and Mulder looks dubious, and she tells him to quit staring, that she's fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So in a bathroom, Scully tries to stop the bleeding while it continues to drip into the sink. Mulder asks if she's okay, and she tells him she's just washing up. She comes out and sees that Mulder has taken Kurt's cuffs off. Mulder tells her that Kurt says he was a member of MUFON, just like Betsy. He was downloading her files for safekeeping, as Betsy instructed him to do. Scully asks why he ran, and Mulder says he thinks his life is in danger due to a government conspiracy to suppress the information. Scully asks Mulder if he thinks he's credible. Mulder says he knows a lot about Betsy and the other women who were gathered at her house. Scully says that will need to be cross-checked. Mulder says they can't. She asks why not. He's silent, and then she kind of seems to figure it out Mm -hmm. so she asks kurt how they died and he tells her brain cancer all within the last year all of them scully asks kurt tells her from the group she met only penny northern is left and she's in the hospital and doesn't look good scully asks why he thinks it's a conspiracy kurt says 11 women were abducted all with similar recollections about the experience all developed similar brain tumors and all died within a year. So then Mulder pulls Scully aside and tells her to listen to him about what she's denying. And she's like, what am I denying? And he's like, where your cancer came from? And Scully says it doesn't matter, but Mulder argues that it does. If the cancer is the result of her abduction and the government knows what happened, those facts should be brought to light. Scully insists she doesn't know what happened or if these abductions are even abductions. Mulder says all women are dead, but Scully says, no, one woman isn't, Penny Northern. Mulder thinks Scully should go talk to her, and Scully's like, about what? What it feels like to be dying of cancer and know there's nothing you can do about it? And Mulder says, if that's too hard for you, then you should go as an investigator. You have one remaining witness, Agent Scully. Don't you want to question her? Mm-hmm. So. And Kurt is played by David Lovegren. He also appeared in episodes of 21 Jump Street, Supernatural, and Psych. Yep. I, this, it's a little weird because aside from Penny and I guess Scully, like Betsy apparently was the last one to die. But yet when we last saw her in Nisei, she was like on death's door and no one else technically had cancer yet. They were just like, this is how we're all going to end up just like her. But yeah, like everyone else has died. And then she was the last one. But it just seems weird. Well, maybe she went into remission and then the others got sick. And like, if this is a conspiracy and they are being intentionally killed off, maybe Betsy was able to recover a little bit, maybe not fully, but then they intentionally made the other women sick. And then Betsy got sick again later. I don't know. I I think they just needed it it because like they'd been to her house and so they could use the memory stuff with flashbacks. You're you're right. I'm trying to. Yeah. I'm yeah. giving like an in-story reason and you're just wondering why the writers did it that way, which is both are yeah. valid questions. I mean, I get but... I get why they did it that way because <laughs> of the because you you have those visual links. Like that is uh-huh. the house they used before and the move yeah. on sticker, and then Scully is looking around the living room and then they like superimpose all the people pulling out their little, you know, implants and that kind of stuff. So you get those visuals that you wouldn't mm-hmm. get if you were going to someone else's house. Yes. But if you think about it, it's like, how is she she was the first one to get cancer and then she's like the last or you know you know what i mean yeah. of the ones that are dead she was the most recent one to die it just seems yeah weird. yeah that is a little weird so then we're in allentown bethlehem medical center and scully enters penny's room and penny is lying in bed wearing a robe and she's got like a wrap around her head 
And she looks over and she sees Scully and she's like, Dana, hello. And Scully is like, whoa, I'm, you know who I am. And Penny tells her that she told her last year that she had held Scully and comforted her during her abduction. And Scully apologizes that she doesn't share those memories. And Penny tells her it's all right. And then Scully sits down and tells Penny that she wants to ask her some questions. About Dr. Scanlon, Penny asks. And Scully's like, who's Dr. Scanlon? And Penny says that's who's treating her cancer. He also treated Betsy, and he thinks he might have isolated the cause. And if he had caught it earlier, he might have been able to do more for Betsy and for her. Scully verifies his name, like, Scanlon? And Penny says, yes. And then she's like, what was it you wanted to ask me about? So mm -hmm. I have a theory about Dr. Scanlon that we'll talk about at the end. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Meanwhile, Mulder and Kurt are at Betsy's house going through her hard files before stuff starts disappearing. Scully calls and Mulder tells her that he thinks he found something. Most of the women in the group are childless and they've all been treated for infertility. Penny and Betsy among them. He called, but no one is talking to him. Scully interrupts him and tells him that he needs to come up there. She needs her overnight bag from the car and she needs him to call her mother and have her bring some things to the hospital. Mulder asks if there's anything he should know. Scully tells him whatever he might find, she thinks that they both know right now the truth is in her. And that's where she needs to pursue it as soon as possible. Mulder tells her he'll be right there. He shuts the file cabinet kind of hard and he walks out and just like leaves. And Kurt is left staring after him. He doesn't even like explain or say goodbye or anything. Like I know he overheard the phone call, but still you could acknowledge the guy as you're walking out. Yeah. Scully's all making it about her. The truth is in me. Oh. <laughs> and she does have cancer. So <laughs> fair, I think. Last episode, she's all like, it's not all about you, Mulder. And now she's all, it's all about me. The truth is in me. <laughs> La, 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 la. She was the one who was abducted and now has like death cancer because she removed the implant. So I think it's justified. <laughs> Mulder gets in his car and pulls away. After he does, the car parked behind him turns on and without headlights rolls up in front of Betsy's house. So I'm not sure why it needed to do. It was right behind Mulder. It didn't need to like just take his spot. You could have just got out of the car and walk to the house. <laughs> I don't know why you need to get those extra like. 10 feet <laughs> I know. okay for effect i guess i don't know uh, yeah kurt is still inside looking through the files the front door opens and kurt calls agent Mulder, but there's no answer he turns around and he sees a man in a trench coat enter the room kurt falls backwards stumbling over the boxes trying to get away but then the man pulls out a stiletto and he attacks kurt and then we see Kurt lying dead on the floor, dissolving into green goo. <gasps> it is commercial because Kurt died. And we should specify it was one of the alien stilettos, not like just a stiletto. A little spiky, yes. spiky. So, and I know we're supposed to be like, oh my God, Kurt is an alien clone. But I was just like, what? Brian Thompson wasn't available. He just got some I random know. dude to stab him. So. <laughs> I know. I don't know why they have a different alien assassin. I miss the old one. Well, I've got some information about that that I was not aware of because apparently we haven't been paying close enough attention. So. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I do the hard research so you don't have to. <laughs> I need to dig out my X-Files books. I have, I have one bookshelf, but I don't have enough bookshelves. So I need to pull out <laughs> the box of X-Files books. I need to get another bookshelf on my list i need no book learning scully wakes up in a hospital bed there's a man in the room with her but it's too bright and she can't see him clearly at first i think they were trying to go for like it's an alien although you could totally tell it's a dude so i don't mm -hmm. know yeah anyway he says he's dr scanlon they spoke last night on the phone and she apologizes saying that she was sleeping he's like yeah i noticed and then she sits up and he asks about her energy level and she's like i don't feel sick at all and he warns her that with the chemotherapy and the radiation they're going to need to do in order to attempt the gene therapy on P53, she's going to feel like dying. He also is like, you know, you know about this because you're a medical person. So he knows mm -hmm. what's going on. And then Scully's mom comes in and Scully introduces her to Dr. Scanlon. And Scully tells her mom she's fine, that she's just there for treatment. Because obviously Scully's mom is upset. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Scanlon excuses himself, saying they'll get initial blood work and then start treatment in the afternoon. 
And then Scully's like, Mom, I'm fine. And then her mom is pissed. She, like, throws her coat down and is like, why didn't you tell me about this cancer immediately? And Scully explains that she wanted to get all the answers first and that she's found some clarity and maybe a way to fight back. And then her mom is like, I don't want to be kept in the dark. And then she hugs Scully and says, like, I know you've always been the strong one, but you're my only daughter now. And hugs her and is crying. And I think once again, we need to mention, like, poor Mrs. Scully. Like, she is allowed to be as angry as she wants to be. She has lost her husband. She has lost her other daughter. She has had repeated things where she thought Scully was dead. Scully got abducted. And then when they thought Scully got shot, it was actually Melissa got shot. And then there was something else too recently that was like, oh my God. And it turned out it was okay. It's like, cut the ladies some slack. I know. She also has several deadbeat sons who apparently never call or visit or exist. So (laughs) There was apparently a cut scene with one of the brothers between Scully and her brother in this episode. Where they're talking about how the parents weren't happy about her becoming an FBI agent kind of thing. But it got cut for time. Oh, that's too bad. I would like to see some of the brothers just to remember they exist. Yeah, well, he is going to show up at some point. It's the same actor who played the brother. But I don't remember when. But yeah, there's Mm -hmm. a deleted scene. So so the brother did show up. Yeah, she's got some deadbeat brothers because we've never seen. Well, I guess we saw them possibly when her father died when we had the. The funeral yeah, shot, the funeral. Yeah. But they weren't technically like explicitly stated as being like her brothers. No, so, and Melissa wasn't there because she didn't exist yet. So <laughs> Yeah, she didn't yeah, they hadn't thought of her yet. And then we did see like little we saw like little kid brothers in like some flashback stuff. Mm-hmm. But we haven't seen like adult brothers or really yeah. like, talked about them, honestly. So, no, not really. Yeah. Later, Scully is in another room on the table on some kind of like, I think it's a CT scanner. It might be an MRI. I can't tell those apart. I don't even know if there's a difference, to be honest. I mean, I think the technology is slightly different, but yeah, it's basically, yeah. It's very similar. A plastic piece with various holes is placed over her face. And Scully's voiceover tells us about how in medical school, she learned that cancer appears unannounced, turning its new home against itself. And the tech turns on the machine and Scully continues that this is the evil of cancer. It starts as an invader, but it soon becomes one with the invaded. To destroy it, you risk destroying yourself. And then the scanner's camera focuses on the area where Scully's tumor is. And Scully's voiceover likens the cancer to demonic possession, saying her treatment is science's attempt at an exorcism. And she hopes that in these terms, Mulder can better understand what she's going through. And if the darkness swallows her, he must never think there was some secret intervention, something he might have done. Although we've traveled far together, this last distance must necessarily be traveled alone. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I like the sentiment behind that. Like, I like, I like how Scully, as someone who is very pragmatic and scientific minded is trying to like figure out how to relate her feelings and she's obviously not great at describing her feelings possibly because chris carter is writing them but i don't know I, and the, the whole sentiment about like you know we've been through a lot don't ever think there was something you could have done i have to do this part alone that's all fine i don't know that it needs to be worded in such flowery language but there you go it's an invader. It's a demon. Oh, if I say it's demon possession, Mulder will understand it better because he just can't understand science because <laughs> he, he's a dumb he dude. He can't like, understand cancer. <laughs> Even though God. Cancer Man is one of their enemies, he doesn't know oh, what, how that God. works. So. Yeah, yeah. so I've said this before. Someone just needs to pull a George Lucas on Chris Carter and be like, we got this, man. Like, you know, just hang back, count your money. We're good. We, we, we can do this. We don't, you don't need to be like, you know, working away at the typewriter. It's fine. We got this. It's cool. Just, yeah. Go on vacation. Count your money. It's cool. So anyway, they were at the Center for Reproductive Medicine in the High Furnace. Pennsylvania has some crazy ass names, dude. The High <laughs> Furnace. Okay. It was that place. What was? No, that was West Virginia with like big chimney or something remember in one of the yes, episodes yeah. the ufo episode <laughs> but yeah 
Pennsylvania's got some crazy ass names too. Anyway, okay, so yeah, so we're anyway we're at the Center for Reproductive Medicine in Lehigh Furnace, Pennsylvania. I actually should have checked to see how far that is from Allentown. I don't know, but anyway. Mulder breaks into the clinic using his flashlight to see. He sits down at a computer and starts typing the names of Betsy Hagopian and Penny Northern into the computer, but it tells him that access is restricted and asks for a password. And then a door opens, so he like, boom, jumps behind a reception counter to hide. And then the person walks in, and then Mulder puts his gun on them and is like, turn around slowly, I'm a federal agent. And it's Kurt Crawford. <gasps> Kurt! That would I mean, be completely shocking, except we already know he's an alien clone because of the green goo. Because of the green stuff, yeah. If he was just dead, then that would have maybe been a better reveal. But mm-hmm. Mulder says Kurt disappeared with Betsy's files because obviously, I guess, they, he didn't see the green goo all over the place when he went back. He's just, oh, Kurt's gone. Mm-hmm. Maybe it melted left into his, the floor by Left then. his lime slurpee <laughs> all over the floor. God damn. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> I told clothes. him not to make the 7-Eleven run, and if he did, yeah. he was supposed his to get naked me nachos. Naked 7-Eleven run when he left his Slurpee and his clothes all over the floor. Okay. I mean, maybe the <laughs> assassin guy cleaned up. I don't know. Yeah, so. I don't know either. Oh, he says he disappeared with the files, so the assassin dude obviously took the files. Boom. Yes. Pay attention, there Nick. There we go. Yeah. So anyway, Mulder says Kurt disappeared with Betsy's files. So actually, it wasn't Kurt. It was probably the assassin dude. Mulder says he's been calling him and getting no response, and he was beginning to think that Kurt was a liar. Kurt tells him he's been trying to hack into the center's records, but keeps getting stuck on the password. Mulder asks if he can get access from here, and Kurt says, I need to find the password. What did I just tell you, dude? Mulder lets Kurt sit at the desk, and they start looking for the password. Then Mulder sees a snow globe on the desk that says Vegreville. And so he's like, Vegreville, try that. And it apparently worked, so that's okay. Hmm. Inside the snow globe is like some knitted ball or something. I don't know what the hell kind of snow globe that is. So, <laughs> Probably the largest ball of yarn or something. Maybe, yeah. Maybe their largest ball of yarn is in Vegreville, and it's a snow globe commemorating the largest ball of yarn. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. I don't know. Someday I'll get my RV, and I'll go road tripping around, and I'll let you know. <laughs> I, need to, I need to get back on checking all these places. I got out of practice, and I used to do that all the time. I know. Busting out the Google Maps and just finding out whether these places are in the right place. Like, if it's possible to actually get there from there in the amount of time, if they're real or if they're not real. Or like, I need to get back <laughs> on that. I feel bad. I feel like I'm falling down. So I apologize to the listeners. We're getting back into the groove. It's a process. Yeah. So Scully is in a white room, and she sees a drill-like thing coming down towards her forehead. Then we're in the hospital, and Penny is trying to wake Scully up from the nightmare she's having. She's like, you're okay. You're okay. And Scully's like, where am I? And Penny's like, you're safe. You're safe. Scully says she's nauseous, and Penny says it's the chemo. It's always the worst. Scully tells her she had a bad dream. In it, they were doing something bad to her, but Penny was there. Penny says they let her come into the room during some of Scully's procedures when she was abducted. Penny doesn't know why human compassion is not something they have. Scully tells her that she's sorry, but she can't hear about that right now. Penny tells her that she needs to try and make sense of it. It will help her through the pain to understand why it's happening to her. Also, I can't hear this right now. You started it, Scully. You started talking about it. And she's just carrying on a conversation. she, She had a nightmare. You know, about it. And you were there. I know. I was there. Oh, don't tell me about that. I can't deal with it. You just started the conversation. (laughs) Oh, Scully. (laughs) Anyway, Skinner walks into his office and Mulder's like sitting in Skinner's office, just like sitting there waiting for him. And Mulder says, I need you to set up a meeting for me. And so Skinner like goes out the door and is like, tells his receptionist to hold all his calls and closes the door. And also, I imagine later he's going to ask his receptionist, like, how Mulder got into his office. Because, <laughs> but maybe he used that secret door the cigarette smoking man has. Maybe Mulder knows how to get there now or something. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. And then Skinner asks where Scully is. Mulder tells him she's in the hospital getting treatment. Skinner asks what happened to their investigation avenues. And Mulder says they've taken a turn, a U-turn. And he holds up a floppy disk and says it's a file directly from a federally operated fertility clinic. Scully's name is on the file, even though he's pretty damn sure she's never undergone treatment for infertility. And he's taking this personal, apparently, because he's getting Yeah. Upset. Well, yeah. I mean, they're friends. They're partners. Like, I'd be pissed, too. I'd be pissed if I found out you had been 
in the files of an infertility clinic and yet you had never been treated for that like i'd be like what the fuck so i mean you I have to it. assume that i wasn't i don't know how he's pretty damn sure she never has because but. he knows they've i'm sure they've talked about it and she's young she's been dating a little but has not wanted kids yet why would she be going through an infertility treatment like it doesn't make any sense oh okay yeah. older thinks she's trying to have a baby with someone besides him and he's like hmm. <laughs> i don't I don't think that's what he thinks. I think he's pretty sure that this is she should not be in there. Okay. All right. Skinner asks what the file says, but Mulder doesn't know. It's just the directory. The files themselves are in the mainframe in the Lombard Research Facility, which is why he wants to set up a meeting with the cigarette man. He's sure that he's behind this. Skinner warns him that if he deals with a cigarette smoking man and offers him anything, he'll own Mulder forever. And Mulder argues that he knows what they did to Scully, and he may know how to save her. And Skinner says, you can't ask the truth of a man who trades in lies. Mulder says they're talking about Scully's life. But Skinner tells him there has to be another way. Mm-hmm. So Mulder finds another way, and he's hanging out with the lone gunman. Yay! Oh, Betsy Hagopian is like a little like lone gunman herself. She's got a pretty fancy office in files and stuff in her basement and they were going mm-hmm. through and get a lot of stuff so anyway yeah. yeah Byers is at a computer and Frohicky tells Mulder the Lombard system is a dedicated mainframe impossible to hack so they say Mulder asks how they got in and Byers tells them it's a modified chipper clip they cannibalized from a government surplus field encoder Frohicky says they bought it back from the Chinese Langley says for all the work it took to get in they're not sure how much help it's going to be Byers explains it's the gene code that they saw before in Scully's blood after her abduction. The DNA is active. Mulder wonders why anyone would keep a record of it. And they suggest that scientists get funny about people poaching their work. And someone might be trying to find a cause or a cure. Mulder asks if they've ever been to the Lombard Research Facility. And they're like, no. And he's like, well, then dress in black and get your best <laughs> poaching ready. Yeah. So they're gonna We're going on an adventure, boys. Then we see Skinner walk into Mulder's office. The cigarette smoking man is sitting in Mulder's chair, and he says that it's funny. He always thought Skinner was Mulder's patron. You'd think under Skinner's leadership, he wouldn't be consigned to an office in the basement. Skinner says at least he doesn't have to take an elevator up to get to work. (laughs) Just funny. And the cigarette smoking man asks if he thinks he's the devil. Skinner says he's not there to talk about what he thinks about the cigarette smoking man. And the cigarette smoking man is like, well, why are you here then? Is it Mulder's partner and her illness? Is the cancer terminal? And Skinner says, you tell me. The cigarette smoking man is like, well, you know, with modern medicine today, they can perform miracles. And he takes a drag of his cigarette. We know what kind of miracle he had. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of a douchey move. (laughs) Skinner says he needs a miracle. And the cigarette smoking man says Skinner thinks a lot more of him than he lets on if he thinks that the cigarette smoking man is capable of doling out miracles, basically. He's not the devil. He's the Lord. (laughs) Skinner's like, what will it take? And the cigarette smoking man says, for Agent Scully's life, what would you offer? Skinner repeats, what would it take? The cigarette smoking man tells him that he'll have to get back to him on that. And as he's leaving, he's like, which way to the elevator? <laughs> that was good. Just, their exchanges are always so great. I really do love them together. It's always so good. Yeah. And then it's a commercial. Mm-hmm. And we come back and we see a grate open. And Frohickey and Langley look down a tunnel with lights attached to their foreheads. And they start climbing down. And in a car nearby, Byers and Mulder sit and watch the building. Byers says the guard will be back in 54 seconds. Byer radios to ask where the others are. Frohicky says they're in the K section of the storm drain, where Lombard communication system links up to the public power. He tells them to stand by, two minutes for a system check. Mulder sees the guard turn around and says, we got to go. So he and Byer get out of the car. And then Mulder and Byer make for the door, and in the drain, Frohicky and Langley get the security camera offline, and the door's open. So Mulder and Byers go in. They reach an inner door with a security lock, and Mulder grabs Byers' headset and asks, like, what's going on? Because there's not supposed to be, like, a security lock there. They weren't told about that. Mm-hmm. And Langley's like, he's going to take a moment to get past the lock. So Mulder walks down the hall. He's still got, like, Byers' headset. And he's looking through a window, and there's a list of doctors. And on the list, 
he sees one Dr. Kevin Scanlan. <gasps> oh my goodness. That's not good. So Langley finally manages to get the lock open. Mulder goes through the door and then tells Byers that he needs to get to Scully immediately and tell her to stop treatment. So Byers turns back and Mulder heads deeper into the building. And then we see Scully is in bed and she's writing again to Mulder. And she's saying that she hasn't written in 24 hours as the treatment has left her feeling weak. Penny has taken a downturn and Scully can't help but see herself in Penny in a month or a year. And we hear Penny coughing. <laughs> so she's going to die. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Penny. She prays she has Penny's courage for this journey. She knows Mulder is on his own path. And for that, she's grateful. She needs to know he's out there if she's going to get through this. Meanwhile, Mulder opens a door and he keeps going down the hall. Langley's monitor gets snowy and then the audio connection cuts out. Byers, who's heading for the exit, sees a security car pull up with its lights flashing. Meanwhile, Mulder reaches a door and he can see light and motion inside. He bangs on it, telling the people inside to open the damn door. A scientist does. And then Mulder looks in and he sees three men in lab coats who look exactly like Kurt Crawford. Agent Mulder, one of them says. Mulder says, you're hybrids. They ask him to come inside so they can explain. <gasps> Clones. I mean, we knew that already. but <laughs> Yes, yeah. we did. Yeah. Yeah. So inside the rooms are filled with tanks that have like this opaque green liquid and what appear to be human bodies. And we've seen tanks like these before. Mm -hmm. Mulder tells them that they've been using him, and one of the Kurt says, not at all. His arrival was only coincidental, timed with their objective. And Mulder's like, what is your objective? And then another Kurt is like, to subvert the project that created us. Mulder wipes the condensation off one of the tanks, and he sees a boy inside. And he says, I've seen these boys before. And we find out the boys are the Kurtz. And oh. one of the Kurtz replies that they are the end result. So they're the grown-up boys. So I'm assuming this is probably the boys from Heron Volk. That he's mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And Mulder is like, you want to destroy them? But then the first Kurt is like, no, we want the same thing that you do. And then they take Mulder to another room, and it's full of these tiny, shiny metal filing cabinets, just tons of them on the walls. Mm -hmm. And Mulder asks what they are. And Kurt says, human ova. And Mulder's like, taken from whom? But then he sees a drawer, and it's got Betsy Hagopian's name on it. And then Kurt touches a drawer that has Scully's name on it and the date of 10-29-1994. And it opens, and inside are a bunch of little vials of samples that are, like, cryogenically frozen. And Kurt says that one of the tests done to her was a radiation procedure that caused hyperovulation. And Mulder asks why, and Kurt's like, for fertilization. They're one half of the necessary materials. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Bessie Agopian's drawer says 11-11-94, which means it was taken after Scully's. But I guess we're supposed to feel like the cancer is after the thing is removed. So I guess Scully's was the last to be removed. Which is why she It is it. after it's removed. And also, I'm kind of suspicious that maybe it's activated some other way as well because of the way they all seem to get it at the same time. I don't know, though. Yeah, well, maybe as a group, work. maybe as a group, they all had theirs removed. So maybe, and so first, maybe this. Even though she lived longer. So, and this date is apparently right before she reappears in one breath, if you're mm -hmm. tracking. So, Mulder realizes the women are the biological birth mothers of the hybrid clones. And Kurt says the women are barren afterwards from the same procedure that causes their cancer. And that they're left to die, hastened by the men who run the project. And Mulder's like, you're trying to save them. And Kurt says, they're our mothers. And Mulder takes one of the vials from Scully's drawer and puts it in his pocket and he leaves. And then Kurt closes the drawer. So Yeah. And also, I just wanted to say, like, Betsy's date is 11-11. And I rewatched this episode yesterday on 11-11. So I noticed mm -hmm. the date right away. And I was like, oh, that's today. Obviously not 19. Yeah, a lot of weird shit happened on 11-11 this year. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, not a lie. Yeah. So back in the hall, Mulder's connection to Langley returns. Langley tells him there's a security breach in Section J-14. He asks if it's Byers, but no, Langley has Byers in view. 
And Byers actually ducks out of sight as two officers enter the building. Another man in a trench coat follows them. The same guy who killed Kurt at Betsy's house. And he walks through the area with all the tanks. Oh, no. Yeah, not good. Meanwhile, Mulder has Langley help lead him out of the building. Mulder reaches an exit and then tells him to open the door. Frohickey tells him the doors are on redundant systems, but they're working fast. The man in the trench coat appears at the end of the hallway and pulls out his gun. Mulder locks the inner door between him and the trench coat man and tells them to work faster. The trench coat man shoots the door, putting things in the glass. Mulder shouts at them to get him out of there. The man's bullets finally breach a hole in the door, but then the door opens and Mulder runs out. Mm-hmm. The grouping of the bullet holes is different between the close-ups and the wide shot, and they keep going <laughs> back and forth. And so you're like, oh, those are, yeah, those, oh, those don't match. Oh, those don't match. Oh, those don't match. So, oops. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, yeah. Then we're back at Allentown Bethlehem Medical Center, and it's 9.47 p.m. Mulder runs down the hall to Scully's room, but he goes in, and it's empty. Oh, no. And then he sees her journal on the side table, and he picks it up. And it's open to the last voiceover we heard about how she needs to know that Mulder is out there so she can get through this. So Mulder runs down the hall and he calls for a nurse and the nurse comes out and he's like, where's Scully? And the nurse is like, she's not in her room. And he's like, no, where is she? He's like, I don't know. I'm like, calm down, Mulder. She doesn't know. But then Byers comes jogging down the hall and Mulder's like, what happened to Scully? And Byers is like, I got to her. It's fine. And then Mulder's like, where is she? So then they follow Byers. And Scully is in Penny's room, and Penny looks up at Mulder, and then at Scully, and she's like, Dr. Scanlon isn't coming back. And Scully tells her, no, she doesn't think so. And then Penny tells Scully that she wants her to get well. She has to be the one. She can't give up. And Scully says she hasn't, and she won't. And then she's crying. Yeah. So then it's 5.05 a.m. and Mulder is sitting in a chair in the hallway of the hospital. A nurse runs past and opens the door to Penny's room. Scully comes out crying. Mulder asks if she's gone. Scully nods. Mulder says that he's sorry. He knows what Penny meant to her. He tells her that when he came to find her and she wasn't in her room, he got scared. And then he read some of what she wrote. And Scully's like, I didn't want you to read that. I decided to throw that away. It was all junk. It was all badly written junk. (laughs) She doesn't say that, but anyway. She decided to throw it away. She should have thrown it away, but. But she decided tonight that she's not going to let this thing beat her. She came into this hospital able to work, and that's how she's leaving. Mulder nods and smiles. She smiles back. Mulder asks if Byers told her about Scanlon, and she says yes. Mulder says he may well have killed those women. Scully says that will have to be proven if they find him. When we find him, Mulder insists, something was done to Scully. It can be explained and it will be explained. No matter what she thinks as a scientist or a doctor, there is a way and she will find it. Scully says she can't kid herself, but people live with cancer. They carry on and so will she. She has things to finish, to prove to herself, to her family, for her own reasons. And then they hug, and Mulder tells her the truth will save her. He thinks it'll save both of them. Scully walks away. Mulder pulls the vial out of his pocket, looks at it, and then puts it back in his pocket. He can clone Scully. He's got the answer right there. If she dies, he'll just make another one. He could have like oh, a whole man. little private army of Scullies and have to wear a little sexy French outfit. Oh, man. Just, yeah. That reminds me of my favorite book series, which is New Slush, but we won't get into why that's relevant. <laughs> there is a, I'm not a big fan of Deadpool, but there was a, there was like a, like an Ashcan comic a long time ago. I think it was like from Wizard Magazine and it was about Deadpool. And it's, at different points, they've tried to make Deadpool like, almost be like in the Spider-Man universe, even though he's like an X-Men kind of character. But anyway, it turns out he's like, it's like a jokey comic because it's a Deadpool comic, but he's like, it's dealing with all the spider clones and all that kind of stuff. And there's like clones of Aunt May and Uncle Ben. He finds him in bed and he's like, ah, my eyes. 
But then at the very end, he has he's made himself an army of Gwen Stacy clones, and they're all like dressed in little sexy aprons and serving him, oh, and like, God. yes, sure, we will help you. And he's all, yeah. So it's just that reminds me of this. <laughs> well, we could do the same thing. So, jeez, <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> so then Skinner's in his office, and the phone rings. It's Mulder, who surprised Skinner answered because it's like five something in the morning. Skinner says he's working, and he asks. How can I help you? And he's very perfunctory. Like, he's very like, what do you want? Like, you know, there's no conversation there. Mulder tells him that Scully is doing okay. She says she's coming back to work, actually. And Skinner says, good. Mulder thanks him for his advice about their chain smoking friend. Skinner was right. They have to know what he knows. They just have to find another way. There's always another way, Skinner says, and he hangs up. And then we see that the cigarette smoking man is sitting across from Skinner. He says, yes, I believe there is, if you're willing to pay the price. He puts a cigarette out in a cup of coffee, and he leaves. And Skinner takes off his glasses. Probably regrets dealing with the devil. And probably like, God damn it, Mulder. You could have <laughs> told me that earlier. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I was glad they brought back the same actor, uh, Jillian Barber, to play Penny. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I guess Lottie's dead, so they didn't bring back Lottie. So, and on that, I had commented on what Brian Thompson, the alien assassin, like I was like, oh, he wasn't available. Well, it turns out the assassin here was available, has a name, and we've seen him before, as I mentioned. He is apparently called the Gray-Haired Man. Oh! Though, like the red-headed man, his hair color really doesn't match his moniker. Maybe like Mm-mm. the starting to gray-haired man or something. Yeah, it's so. kind of like salt and peppery, maybe, but it's yeah. on the darker side. Yeah. He previously appeared in Piper Maru, season three, episode 15, as one of the men threatening Skinner in the restaurant. And then he is ID'd as the man trying to set up Skinner for murder in Avatar in season three, episode 21, when we have Skinner's succubus wife. He also appeared in Hair and Volk, in season four, episode one, and murdered X, which we totally did not mention in our Terminus part one episode that X was murdered, but he's the one who kills X. And then he's in this, obviously, and then he will appear in one more episode, and that will be in this season. So, yeah, okay. so he is a recurring character. We just weren't paying close attention. So he's like this. <laughs> like, he's like one of the syndicate assassins, I guess. Listen. So. He looks familiar, but you know how I am with like bland looking white guys. Like I don't they That's all look true. the same. I, that, I have trouble identifying have the, people. You have that, 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 that slightly not real like face blindness, but a little like bit. it's a vague, like I have I struggle to tell people apart. So it's not total face blindness, but especially if there's someone I've just seen briefly, I'm like, eh, same person or yeah. meh, different guy. I don't know. Yeah, well, I will tend to err on the other side and be like, I know this person and look them up and be like, yeah, I don't know who the hell this person is. I recognize voices. Like, if the voice is familiar, I'm like, oh, I know that voice from somewhere. Where do I know that voice? Faces, not so much. Voices, yes. Hmm, Interesting. Different learning styles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This episode also made me decide to go back and listen to Allentown by Billy Joel because, like, we're talking about Allentown and Bethlehem and everything. Mm-hmm. And I remembered the video and most of the lyrics, and I would just start singing the song when they would have the little screen legends be like, Allentown. And I'd be like, and we're living here in Allentown. Anyway, lately I've been rediscovering, like, songs from the 80s that are really just like, damn, you were nailing it, and no one was paying attention. I just <laughs> didn't do anything about it because, like, boomers wrote a lot of songs in the 80s that ended up, like, explaining the lives of Gen Xers and millennials nowadays. It's kind of weird so maybe some things just never change or if they do they just get worse mm-hmm. yeah i, I did do. write some new lyrics though oh um, yeah oh we're living here in allentown but our white cell counts are really down the aliens messed up our dna <laughs> so we're dying here in allentown <laughs> thank you There you go. You've got your new Weird Al style parody. (laughs) Yeah. I had forgotten the part in the video towards the end. There's like a musical theater kid section and there's some guy like spinning a flaming baton in his underwear and stuff. It's interesting. But yeah. That's hilarious. I don't think I've ever seen the video. Oh, there's links to it in the yeah. uh, notes. So if you want yeah. to, I don't even know if I know the song Allentown, to be honest. Oh. I'm not a big Billy Joel fan. That's true. It, It came out, uh, the year you were born. So mm, mm, yeah, I had to think it was eighty one or eighty two. It's eighty two. 
Yeah, my so. mom's not really into Billy Joel, so it's not something she would listen to all the time. So I probably didn't hear it very much. Yeah, I, I mean, he was on the radio. He's, he's not. I mean, yeah. I mean, I might he's recognize it. He's a chameleon. There's a podcast that I cannot think of the name at the moment, but I think I'm gonna put a link in the show notes for it. That's they they do it's all musical stuff. They had an awesome one on Jim Steinman, but they did one on Billy Joel, and they talked about how like he doesn't really have like a style like you know like some artists like they have a style right like they do mm-hmm. he's more of like a chameleon he kind of like changes this his type of song like as the time progresses and is able to like fill those niches that are necessary it's kind of interesting so huh yeah anyway yeah i got yeah i mean i guess I we're supposed to rate lot. this mm-hmm. um i'll let you go first yeah i don't know i'm kind of torn because like like you i didn't really like the opening narration at all i was like come on we don't need this but i do feel for scully and i think that this episode is really important for her character arc it's also depressing but that's fine and then like i feel like the episode shifts like it's first about scully and her cancer which is character Mm -hmm. stuff and then you get to like skinner and the lone gunman and then it becomes more myth arc kind of stuff because obviously kurt is myth arc too but like I don't know. It gets more exciting as it progresses. It well, you get the lone slow. gunman, so it just becomes fun. Yes. And once the lone gunman are involved, it's it's a good episode. You got and Skinner. You got the cigarette smoking man. Yeah. You, you yeah, kind of get all the You got a lot of good one. stuff yeah. in there. Yeah. Uh, it's just yeah, slow start. And that's fine. You can have slower moments and sadder moments. It's just, you know, less fun to watch sometimes. Is it a slow start or a slow burn? <laughs> I think it's a slow start. So, I don't know. I mean... It's good. I like it. It's not my favorite episode, but I right. can't really fault it for much. It did. You can tell there are a lot of hands in the writing. Um, I'm guessing certain people wrote the Lone Gunman stuff and certain people wrote other parts. And so I don't know. Uh, the Skinner and Cigarette Smoking Man scenes very good, though. Those scenes are always amazing. Mm-hmm. And the Lone Gunman are always fun. So I think I'm going to have to give it a seven. I was okay. kind of going back and forth between a six and a seven, but I think I'm going to go ahead and bump it to the seven. Because I think it does earn that. Okay. So I lied because I said I didn't have anything else, but I did that thing where I didn't want to put something in the notes, but I didn't mention it earlier. Thankfully, I remembered it. I said I had a theory about Scanlan. Oh, yeah, yeah, What was your theory about Scanlan? My theory about Scanlan is that he is just an older version of a Kurt. Oh. So he actually is trying to help them. Okay, so you think he's actually trying to treat them. He's not trying to screw yeah, them up. which would make sense because they have, like, I can't imagine that that whole area that they're working on in there is secret. No. And so if they have access to it, like, someone needs to know. And so it would make sense that Dr. Scanlon would be there because he is just a Kurt. He's like an older Kurt. Like, we've seen that they were boys, and so obviously clones age, right? And so we've seen boy version, and we've seen, like, you know, late 20s, early 30s version. And then Dr. Scanlon is like late 40s, early 50s version. You know what? That's an interesting theory. I really like that because the episode definitely presents it as Scanlon is involved in this fertility thing. He's Mm -hmm. obviously doing something nefarious to kill these women to get rid of them. But if he's not, that's fat. I like that. That is fascinating. Yeah. I don't know. It's probably not true, but it probably isn't. It's probably a case of you thinking about things that maybe the writers should have thought about. And (laughs) well, when we first, when we first see like when Scully is in the thing and they do that thing where it's all super bright, you can't see the body. And I'm like, Oh, they're probably trying to go like for some alien thing. Yeah. I thought we weren't actually going to see Dr. Scanlon or Scully was not going to see Dr. Scanlon. And then we were going to see that Dr. Scanlon was a Kurt. Oh, but they didn't do that. But then I'm, as I'm watching it, like, I'm like, well, maybe he's, especially when we get like all the Kurts are there at the place. And then his name is on the thing. I'm like, well, he's probably just an older version of the clones. And he's just, you know, he's made it through. He's like G one. So, huh. Well, I really like that anyway. I don't know if that's what they were intending, but I, I think I'm going to... That's my new headcanon. Headcanon accepted. Woo! Man, look at me. <laughs> All right. Creating X-Files lore right here on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, it might, I'm sure someone else has maybe thought of that. Or it I'm might sure, you know. Being true. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. So. <laughs> or it might be ended up getting proven wrong at some point. Who knows? I don't yeah, know. I mean, probably, probably the latter, I'm sure. But yeah. But. 
I am going to give this a six. Okay. Which seems strange because I also gave Never Again a six. I have since modified my Never Again. Oh. Um, that was our last episode was our first one coming back. And I've had some time to think about it. And I've changed my score on that. I've also added almost a whole page of notes about Never Again that are going to be in the Terminus. Because I had, <laughs> I, had more time, I had more time to think about it. Because you guys know... <laughs> I'm a little kind of like, oh, yeah, the X-Files. Then watching X-Files, I'm kind of like, oh, the X-Files. So I kind of put watching Never Again off until the last minute. And so I didn't have a lot of time to sit with it. And then mm-hmm. between after we recorded and then, of course, I edit the podcast. And I so had you have to listen to, to it like four or five yeah. times. And yeah, and I know, I'm like, I know oh, I, ooh, <laughs> oh, hey. And then just weird Things again with the name never again kept coming up and being like, God damn, these linkages are driving me crazy. So, yeah, so I bumped that one up a little bit. And then this one is going to be a six. So, yeah, okay. I don't like the I don't like the narration. I was dreading this episode because I'm like, oh, God, it's going to be one breath 2.0. Uh-huh. Well, because it's Scully cancer episode. So, like, you mm-hmm. know, I was I was dreading it, too, because I just doesn't sound fun yeah <laughs> yeah i f- this is the episode that jillian anderson won an emmy for oh okay which i'm like okay that tells me the emmys don't mean she's had way better she has episodes than this i realize that they submit episodes they don't just look at all episodes that are possible like you have to submit mm-hmm. the episode that you want for the emmy but this is just like oh yeah this is that trope of like oh i have a disease i'm gonna get an emmy uh, totally what this is um because i don't mm-hmm. think the acting here there was there are episodes where she does a way better job of acting totally and again, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily a fan of jillian anderson i'm not i'm not sure she's a great actress any more than anyone who else who was just able to have the time to practice and hang out with people who are actors and gain knowledge because you assume you would if you were just given that access but there i will grant that there are definitely better not that she's horrible in this one but she's definitely way better episodes than this well and the part at the end i thought was really good like i could really feel her emotion when she's like crying and i don't know i thought that was really well well done they gave her the dark eye makeup because oh i had Uh look at me i'm sick now (laughs) well she's sick and she's been up all night crying while she watched somebody die i'm gonna give her a little bit of a pass um i don't know the thing i like the least about the x-files is the character stuff i don't care. i know i know and i, also, I do I, also, I care i also can't i can't believe that they're gonna get that anything's gonna happen to her because she's well, the main true. character yeah so it's one of those things you know i mean yeah. i guess uh, back in the day you could have maybe had especially season oh four. you didn't know i don't you know didn't about know. contracts and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. you know but i mean we know and so i know right. she's not gonna die but Plus, as it was airing we immortal, really didn't so, and so you know. I mean, Clyde yeah. Bruckman did say she's not going to die, so maybe. But yeah. which is I a mean, way better performance for her in that episode too. That's one of the ones that I would definitely pick out. Yeah, she's at, very good in that. Yeah, I mean, it made me cry. So mm-hmm. yeah, partially yeah, because did. of her, the way she interacted with him in that scene is one of the. It's not just him. He actually doesn't act in that scene at all. That made me break down. It's I know, her reaction her. to him. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know? But uh, yeah. So yeah, a six. So, but yeah. yeah, this is the one she won. This is the one I knew she had won an Emmy for the X Files, and I was kind of like, oh, okay, whatever. Um, but this is actually the episode that she did. So, again, okay. not the one I would select, but okay. no, but you know, it's Emmy bait, right? It's the, the yeah. oh, no, it totally is. topic, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, yeah. awards are kind of a joke. So, hmm. I will say, having seen this one now and never again, and then Leonard Betts. I think Never Again should have been before Leonard Betts. I, it, I there's too much of a break. It, it disruptive. I think the. I actually think that it's out of character. I think it would be more of the progression because I think she with that nosebleed thing. I think she would have immediately gone to the doctor. I don't. I think don't she think would she off. would have though. Because I don't, well, she, I don't. I don't think she would think about it because she's in denial. I don't think she would think about it as having to do anything with the abduction stuff. But as a medical person, she'd be like, "Why am I having nosebleeds?" And I think yeah, she'd go to the but hospital. at the beginning of this episode, her first instinct isn't to go to the hospital either. It's to investigate this as a 
case. But because, she, yeah. Well, no, her first instinct was good. She was in the hospital. Oh, that's open. true. It does open with the hospital. Right, yeah. Fair. She already fair. had like a series fair. of x-rays. Like when Mulder's, like she's in her yeah. gown looking at one x-ray and when Mulder sees her and she's like in her normal clothes, mm-hmm. there's yeah, an entire no. wall of x-rays on the little I clips. was thinking it opened in oh. the office with Skinner. But like, I don't know. I feel like for that kind of thing, you need time to process. So I don't know. I mean, Scully is more likely to go to the doctor immediately than Mulder is. But I could yeah. see her taking a week or two to process a little before she gets there. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't completely yeah. throw me. I do, I do like Never Again, like as episode 12 and then Leonard Betts being 13 and this one yeah. 14, personally. And that was the production numbers, I believe. Yeah, that was the production numbers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it seems that, that actually makes Never in my head, Never Again now seems out of context. Like we were talking about how, like I could, Having not seen Memento Mori, I was like, oh, I could actually see maybe it working either way. But now having seen it, I'm like, oh, no, it needs to be before Leonard Betts. Okay. So, I think it could be anywhere. I don't even, don't even think it has to be before Leonard Betts. Production number wise, it was never again Leonard Betts, Memento Mori. But I think it could have been even earlier in the season or in a different season earlier. So I don't know. But it was it was a nice little like almost not necessarily a bottle episode but it was a nice little like we could put this anywhere kind of episode i think yeah it was kind of a little break from normal so yeah yeah but yeah that's just my thoughts so sure i mean and and we talked about how the whole cancer thing i think that was a storyline they were planning on doing yes but they had to push it up because again another link of how i talk about like how like i just look in the mirror and complain about glenn morgan and darren morgan because darren morgan pulled a me and was like nope i'm done i can't do this and like left and so they were like oh shit and had to write a script and so mm-hmm. that's where the whole cancer thing came in so i am the enemy apparently because <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah i liked it yeah i thought it was pretty good overall for sure yeah I, like i said i could have done without the character stuff i don't like again i don't care about scully and cancer which sounds bad <laughs> she's like a main character of the show i don't care yeah i do care and also yeah but, it's depressing but but all the other stuff was good it like you said it it turned into a different episode than what i was thinking it was going to be uh-huh me too opened. yeah so and it also i don't know this one in particular like we talk about that we like the lone gunman this one in particular it really makes because i think vince gilligan is one of the writers one of the main writers on when the lone gunmen get their own show which is oh i think he is we're still like four years away from that so i wonder if he wrote that part or was involved in that part because this made me feel like oh i definitely want that show i want yeah oh for sure yeah so yeah i also feel like it clarifies a little more of like i mean at least now we kind of know why the women were abducted even if we're not entirely sure who abducted them obviously it had to be someone related to the government whether it's aliens working with them or i think at this point we kind of know it probably wasn't aliens although everything we've learned there are fertility centers all around the country and the globe that you could just bust in and take over them if you wanted them you don't have to abduct people and have all this big giant hoo-ha yeah but i wonder if they're I wonder if it's specific people based on specific criteria for their experiment. I don't know. If so, Allentown has a high percentage of those criteria. Yes, they so, do. I'm also now curious if we are ever going to see any African-American alien clones because one of them women was an African-American. Yeah, she was black. She was a black, she was a black lady. So, yeah. So far, everybody's white. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe Sam was going to pop up at some point this episode, honestly, but she didn't. Kind of glad she didn't. <laughs> that would have been too much. <laughs> yep. All right. All right. Well, I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded in collaboration with Black Cat and Orange Tuxedo Studios. That's right. We made this. We also make a bonus X-Files adjacent podcast that you should definitely check out because if you don't, you might get cancer. Anyway, whatever you do, tell a friend. We'd be glad to have them join us and keep them cancer-free as well. God. You won't get cancer podcast if you don't listen to our podcast. In, uh, <laughs> some legalese that we got to put at the bottom of this, but hey, you know. Speaking of which. When it says ad lib, <laughs> that's the problem. So. Be sure to join us next time as we try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out there. there.
Six. Wow, we're really close on this. We are very one. close. Yeah. And we're also, I mean, honestly, we're we were well, I don't want to spill the beans, but we are also close on the last one now that I have modified it. We weren't too far away. You did eight, I did six. Mm-hmm. So what the hell? I gave it an eight. I moved it up. It <laughs> Just can't keep it in, huh? Can't keep it in. Keep it. Just staring at me in red, like, hey, Nick, just say it. So yeah, and then six and seven on this one. So yep. All right. All right. 